Welcome to episode 55 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, Clicker Training, Horsemanship, Liberty, Tricks and FEI Dressage with Georgia Bruce. I'm not sure exactly when I first came across Georgia, but at some point I was probably curious in clicker training and a quick Google search on clicker training horses in Australia and Georgia Bruce's business Click With Horses is the first to come up. And what a clever name that is. I really like Click With Horses. I, I don't know. I just like play on words for, for various things. Um, and I think, yeah, she's, she's really taken clicker training with horses to a really high level. I have watched a lot of Georgia's social media videos and have even had an online lesson with Georgia where she has helped me with some flying changes preparation and shaping ideas. And I know that Luke Thomas, the the clicker training cowboy that I've had on the podcast before, also thinks extremely highly of Georgia and it was always in my plan to get her on the podcast at some point. So who is Georgia? If you haven't heard of her, Georgia Bruce is an equine behavior consultant with the IAABC, International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, a level one dressage judge and qualified dressage coach with Equestrian Australia. She has ridden successfully up to FEI level in open dressage and has represented Australia on 12 occasions, including the Trans-Tasman Challenge in New Zealand, the Dutch Open, twice at the World Paradressage Championships, as well as the 2004 Paralympic Games in Athens and the 2008 Paralympic Games in Beijing, where Georgia won two bronze medals riding the 18-hand high gelding victory salute. As well as performance horse training, Georgia also enjoys teaching horses liberty and tricks. Her passion is animal learning, training and behavior analysis. And she began using clicker training with horses and other animals in 1998. Georgia loves empowering horse owners with the knowledge and skills to build positive relationships with their horses and achieve their training goals. She believes the future of horse training is the artful combination of modern behavior science, ethology and biomechanics together with the wisdom passed down from the old masters in horsemanship and dressage. In this episode, we discuss Georgia's broad horsemanship journey from humble beginnings, representing Australia 12 times, competing internationally in dressage and training Rumba the Wonder Horse to do all the Grand Prix movements at Liberty. All things clicker training and positive reinforcement, what it is, the benefits, the magic of the clicker or the marker, and how Georgia uses it in her training today. When Georgia does use pressure and release, aka negative reinforcement in her training. Common mistakes people make when using clicker training. Examples of shaping behaviours for performance horses, for example, riding a shoulder in or riding a complete dressage test that has been trained with positive reinforcement how to keep food anxiety low when building duration of behaviors, how to get started with clicker training, all the usual fun horsemanship breakthroughs questions, plus so much more. I love that Georgia has a really broad experience using different training approaches, which gives her a unique, balanced and open-minded perspective when it comes to horse behavior. She is very humble, extremely knowledgeable and talented, and personally, I like that while she loves and encourages the use of clicker training and positive reinforcement, she's not extreme in her views and doesn't seem judgmental of those who use negative reinforcement. 
I really like the way Georgia is able to break things down and explain things so clearly and simply and really views um, horse training through that kind of logical scientific lens, which really <laughs> sits well with me because I like to be able to really understand the nitty gritty and the why things are working the way that they are. And I know Georgia doesn't see herself as disabled as you'll hear in this episode, but I think it's so inspiring to hear about everything that she has accomplished despite not having full use of one of her arms. I think at times training horses, we can feel clumsy and uncoordinated. And the fact that Georgia is able to use all of the regular equipment plus the clicker and administer treats in a highly effective way, it's very impressive and inspiring. I have a lot of respect and admiration for her, and I think she's one of the best clicker trainers in the world. So I know you're going to love this episode. So let's dive in with the incredible Georgia Bruce. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory. And now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome Georgia Bruce to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the show today. Thanks for inviting me. So excited for this conversation. Let's start off with, can you tell us about your horsemanship journey to date from when you got into horses to what has led to what you're doing today? Okay, so uh, my mum had an interest in horses and she worked um, in the racing industry. She actually worked doing track work for um, TJ Smith, who was one of the top Australian racehorse trainers in his day, and that was when um, Gay Waterhouse was learning the ropes. So, um, yeah, so I got my uh, love of horses from my mum and um, because I was born with um, one short arm, I've got no radial bone in my right arm and uh, no thumb on my right hand um, due to aerial spraying of Agent Orange while my mum was pregnant. Um, so because of my arm, uh, my mum, you know, she wanted me to get into horses, but uh, she was worried about, you know, how I would go with, um, you know, holding the reins and all that sort of thing. So um, she was interested in teaching me about the Western riding because she'd seen um, the, you know, riding with one hand and that sort of stuff. So she really installed in me a love for the horses and the respect for the horses. And um, it wasn't until I was 12 when I actually uh, saved up and I actually worked as a extra in the miniseries Ocean Girl and I, um, yeah, saved up $500 from that and I bought my first horse and his name was Dan and he was a quarter horse because um, mum had thought that I'd be able to ride him one-handed. <laughs> 
but he actually uh, came with a few issues where he um, mostly wanted to go backwards and then when you tried to get him to go forwards, he wanted to buck me off. And, like, when we went and tried him, he was really quiet. But then, yeah, once I got him home, we had all these issues with him. And that sort of started my journey towards learning about horses because, you know, mum said, oh, you know, maybe he's not suitable, we should get rid of him. But, of course, I loved him, so <laughs> I wanted to keep him. And, um, yeah, so that was when I um, learned everything I could about horse training and I got really into horsemanship. Um, when I was about... Uh, 15 I had a big operation on my shoulder which meant I couldn't ride for um, a year and so I just basically um, did everything I still could do which was working with horses with my horse at Liberty and um, you know some of my friends around the area with their ponies they sort of brought their ponies around and they wanted to learn about the Liberty and so we'd sort of just experiment with it and I'd see what I could do with like one arm still in a sling and so I sort of got interested in the Liberty quite early on um, and I was doing, you know, quite well with my horse, getting him to do all different things. And so a few other people started, you know, wanting lessons. And so I started sort of doing little lessons when I was about 16, just helping local kids around the area. And um, eventually my shoulder got better. And um, so I started sort of taking on some of their horses to help them out with some training. And... Um, yeah, so I was, you know, trying to learn everything I could about training and how to help these horses, and I just loved it. I just loved everything to do with, you know, learning and training and, you know, horses. They're so beautiful. Um, and then I got this mare called Crystal given to me to train and to sell on, and um, she was an Arabian cross um, Andalusian, and she was quite very, well, very sensitive mare. And she came with a lot of issues and a lot of trauma that um, I was a little out of my depth and learning about <laughs> retraining crystals. So um, anyway, I did a lot of um, horsemanship type things and it was actually with Crystal where I found the um, clicker training. That was in 1998 and um, with... With my friend down the road, we were both really into training and uh, we would uh, go down to the local arena called the Ross Common and, you know, we'd, we'd work with our horses and um, one day she she told me about um, this clicker training that she'd found online in one of these um, forums and she'd taught her pony to fetch with it and I thought that was really cool and I could already get Crystal to do all kinds of things like Liberty and I could ride her without a bridle and, um, yeah, you know, different things. But I didn't know how to do any tricks and I thought, you know, that looked really fun and Crystal might like it. So I had a bit of a go and sure enough I taught Crystal to carry a basket and and smile and Spanish walk and, um, yeah, just loved it, the training with the positive reinforcement and the and the clicker, the marker signal, just really seemed to make sense for Crystal. And um, 
Yeah, at the time, my friend Jill and I, we were both doing uh, the, the Pirelli natural horsemanship levels. <laughs> we were doing our level two Um and we both got stuck at a stage where you had to teach the horse to do flying changes. We both had quite um, <laughs> sensitive Arab type horses, and um, we'd done all the things in the in the course, and you know nothing was really working. These horses were still getting a bit too anxious for our liking, and they weren't really getting it. And um, I think Jill had the idea about, well, why don't we try and use the the clicker to help teach them the changes and <laughs> so we did that we um yeah at the time we weren't using clickers because I, I couldn't get a clicker I had um I don't know if you remember those little beetles you used to get in like a party bag when you go to a kid's party <laughs> uh, I don't know but I've heard of people using like the top of um like those glass jars, the, the oh, I don't know what, I suppose the lid yeah. of glass jar, yeah, yeah, they make a little poppy noise as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I used those as well and um, put a little hole in the side of it and had it around our wrist and um, and they were good as a clicker. So, yeah, ended up teaching Crystal to do the flying changes because um, she had you know, so much more clarity about what I was asking. She would, you know, canter around and I'd ask for the change and then she'd eventually, you know, change lead and I could click and stop and give her the reward and it was just like it all suddenly made sense to her what I was actually asking for. So <laughs> it was like a real light bulb moment for me going, wow, you know, she actually understands what, I, what I'm asking her because when she hears that click sound, she knows she's done the right thing. Um, and yeah, so from there with Crystal, I, um, just ended up basically using the clicker training with everything that I was teaching her. And I just found that, um, she learned everything so much faster and, you know, I could just shape behaviors so much more easily. And I'm sure my own training skills improved and progressed as we went along. And, um, I actually trained Crystal up uh, to do dressage because I thought, oh, she was that type of a horse. I should try dressage with her. And, um, yeah, we did really well. And that was around uh, just before the, the Sydney 2000. And um, the Paralympics were going to be on in Sydney and people asked me, oh, you should try out for the Paralympics in the dressage. You know, you'd probably qualify and... It was a little bit confronting because I didn't really see myself as somebody with a disability, but, um, yeah, I apparently did <laughs> qualify. So, um, yeah, I thought it would be a good opportunity to learn really to progress my skills with horses and, you know, to maybe ride different horses and then um, train with different instructors. So, I did go down that path and um, you know, I'm really glad that I did because, yeah, I ended up um, travelling all over the world. I was um, on the Paralympic squad for more than 10 years for Australia and wow. represented, represented my country 12 times and 
did two Paralympic Games. I did Athens and well, Athens in 2004 and Beijing in 2008 mm -hmm. um, and won two bronze medals in um, Hong Kong or Beijing. Amazing. <laughs> and at, at all those events we uh, rode borrowed horses. So, um like I did two world championships as well and the team would fly over to Germany or somewhere and we would um, train, you know, we'd be given a selected horse and we'd have a few weeks to try and form a bond with the horse and, um, you know, learn about the horse and see, you know, if we could bring the best out in each other and and um, attempt to <laughs> do a dressage test on a world stage with a horse that we hadn't really known that long, so. Um, oh, my goodness. Think, <laughs> yeah, doing that on multiple occasions um, all over the world, I think it really taught me a lot about horse training and, and riding and communicating with the horse and and yeah. also just just seeing the um, the way that horses are, are trained and ridden around the world how there is kind of a standard um, system of cues that are used with horses with, you know, halters and lead ropes and bridles and leg aids and, and all that sort of things. doesn't really matter if you go to Germany or England. Um, the horses sort of understand a similar language with, with people. And, mm -hmm. um and with yes. those horses, um, how how were those horses selected for you? Did you get a choice and were you able to use your clicker training or did you have to follow their, I'm guessing they were probably already using negative reinforcement in their training? Um, how did that pan out? Yeah, yeah, really good question. So um, at the time uh, I was experimenting with the clicker training with my own horses but, you know, back in those days, nobody was using positive reinforcement with horses or maybe there was like a very fringe outer community, a very small outer community that might be experimenting with it. But certainly no one was openly using it in the competition um, industry with, with dressage horses. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was training under a national coach and, you know, together with the horse owner. So I had to ride the horse the way they wanted that to be ridden um and obviously I was as um gentle as possible with the horses and tried mm -hmm. to form a, a bond with them of course um, and yeah I just found that I, I thought to myself you know wow if I could just use the clicker and the positive reinforcement you know I could I could get this so much faster this connection with the horse and have them understand and have them motivated um so I felt like um yeah it was a little bit struggling to do things in the old paradigm but but I did learn a lot in the process as well mm. um yeah and sorry were selected for you or did oh, you yeah, yeah. um yeah they, they were all selected for us so Often, like, the team manager would go over to the country beforehand. Like, when we went to Belgium, they would have been there a few months prior and gone around to various places and, um, you know, different different people would would loan their horses, which was amazingly generous of them, looking back on it all. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, and so they would select the horse. So I was at, at that stage, I was what we call a grade four. Um, I, I competed in the grade four, so that was like the lowest level of disability. So, um, yeah, so I had to do like a medium advanced test equivalent of EA. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our freestyle, we could do up to pre-St. George. Um, we could do like three and four times changes mm-hmm. and half pirouettes in the freestyle. So to be competitive, you sort of needed a horse that knew those things, but it was also very difficult to get a horse trained up to that level and have somebody, you know, loan it to you and, and that. So So often the horses that we loaned were more like elementary levels are so not quite as highly oh, trained. Wow. And you were riding them levels up essentially. Um yeah, well the the first the team test and the championship test they were like um medium level. So yeah, we've uh, we would have to um do a bit of training with them in a few weeks and see if they were, you know, if it was going to be okay for them to do that. And mm-hmm. yeah. So Yeah, wow. What an experience. <laughs> Yeah, I think definitely doing that, um, you know, for such a long time, it really taught me a lot with the horses. Um, I got to train, you know, under some really fantastic coaches. I went to Germany uh, several times. I trained for six weeks with Hubert Schmidt, and he is really one of the modern masters, I think, in in dressage. Mm-hmm. And, um you know, watching him every day training horses from prelim up to Grand Prix and, and seeing the systems of shaping that he used. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed that and and just getting access to lots of top-level coaches and you know, learning um, training through various movements on, you know, a variety of horses. It, it, it does give you sort of a bit more of an understanding of how to train all those sort of dressage behaviours. Um, yeah, so I, I did that. Um, I was also competing in open dressage. I, I competed up to pre-St. George in open dressage with um, several horses. One of them was uh, my little mare, Crystal, <laughs> and another one was an Arabian stallion that I rode for the stud. Um, his name was Prince Rashid. I actually trained Rashid with um, the combination of the positive reinforcement and the um, classical dressage because um, the owner was open to that. She was like, yeah, I don't mind what you do. If you want to, you know, campaign him for us, that would be great. So, um, yeah, so I actually used, well, with him I qualified for the um, for Hong Kong for the Beijing. So, um yeah, and I did my um, equestrian Australia um, coaching certificate, and I lived in um, southeast Queensland for a few years and worked for a warm blood stud there mm-hmm. with uh, Matty Samani, and um, that was a fantastic experience because Matty is really. Um, Another master, she's, you know, very understated. She um, she would take on, like, stallions that had severe behavioural problems and, um, you know, help them to sort of 
become good citizens basically or you know she'd help people with really um really quite dangerous horses and and I saw a fair bit of that while I was working with her and she would also um have me help her start the young warm bloods under saddle and mm-hmm. she had an amazing training or still mainly um negative reinforcement or a bit of both so she had um an incredible understanding of our horse psychology um, and the ethology and the biomechanics. She really understood that. And she also saw what I was doing with my own horses with the clicker training and she could see how that was really beneficial. So she did actually let me um, incorporate the clicker training into the starting of her young horses, which was really fantastic. Um, And... Yeah, I trained one of her young horses as a four-year-old and and took it out to a um, a competition at the CDI in the young horse classes and um, and in the young horse classes you do your first test and um, oh the first test is like three horses all go around together and then out of you know there's all those different um, sections and then out of that. They pick out a few horses that do an individual test. And then in the final um, stage, the judge rides the top three horses. Mm. And um, so my horse's name was Lorendel Galaxy or Spider. Um, and I'd clicker trained him all through his starting under saddle. Mm-hmm. And when the riding judge um, tried him out and rode him, she said, wow, this is the softest, most responsive young horse that, you know, she'd ridden. She And so she actually bought him. <laughs> wow, that's a compliment. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was a really beautiful horse as well, like really beautifully put together and, you know, a lovely temperament and, um, yeah, a wonderful horse. But just I think definitely the clicker training had a big impact on, you know, how much she liked him and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did that quite a bit of the starting young horses and then, you know, having to sell them because I, I didn't own them and and it was always a hard part of mm. uh, of the whole thing. I never was really good at that. <laughs> I got so attached to them. I just love every horse so much that I work with that, yeah, I wasn't really suited for that end <laughs> of the business. <laughs> yeah, it would be hard. And um, then so I got into... Yeah, after after Beijing, I um, more or less had a had a break from all the competition. I'd been doing that for so long, I was a bit burnt out by it. And um, I had seen a fair bit in the industry of because you know, I worked in you know, I worked in show jumping stables and lots of different dressage stables in Australia and overseas, and saw some fantastic things but I also did witness a fair bit of cruelty and a fair bit of pressure and Mm. you know I sort of questioned a lot about whether I wanted to be involved in that and um and so I actually didn't ride for a little while there well a while and I just did my liberty and my tricks and you know had fun with my horses and um and that's really when I started getting asked to do a lot of clinics and um, and travel to do clicker demos and um, there was probably 10 years where I um, 
basically drove up and down Australia doing clinics and demos and lessons um, nonstop. And, yeah, didn't do quite as much on the competition side for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I just I found that my passion was teaching people about positive reinforcement and, um, you know, I just saw a horse's eyes light up, you know, when they when they first encounter the clicker training and the positive reinforcement, especially if they've had a history of, you know, a lot of pressure or trauma. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just loved it. You know, they become enthusiastic and willing and, and motivated and they're, like, consciously participating in the training instead of training something that's happening to them. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I just I was really motivated for a long time to really promote the the positive reinforcement and um, and yeah, fast forward to <laughs> 2023, I'm still going with it really. <laughs> so cool! And you've got your you've got uh, more of your own horses now that are all clicker trained that you do Liberty and a bit of dressage, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, I've still got, um, well, yeah, I do Liberty. I've got uh, Rumba the Wonder Horse who um, he's uh, mostly retired now except for a little games and things. But, yeah, he could do all the Grand Prix at Liberty and um, without a bridle and as well as lots of different tricks. He has um, several um, viral videos of his, like, sleepy time one where he tucks himself in with a blanket. and He's kind um, of famous. <laughs> yeah so he's um he's still yeah still going strong and um with him like I just play little clicker games and you know just it's basically enrichment and and bonding and um yeah I've got another horse Joey who he's an 11 year old uh warm blood cross Anglo Arab and um I bought him initially well, somebody asked me to break him in and I uh, reluctantly agreed to and um, initially planned to um, sell him on, to train him up and sell him on. So I um, I did end up buying him, but because I'm no good at selling horses, I, of course, just fell in love with him and kept him and um, ended up, you know, I did a bit of dressage with him. We competed quite successfully um up to elementary level until COVID and um, I haven't done any competitions since COVID but um he's definitely he's going really well and and we have a fun time and I uh just enjoy shaping the dressage behaviors he's Mm -hmm. he's learning PF and passage and um yeah training towards the flying changes so yeah he's he's a lot of fun and I might go and compete with him, but I don't really mind whether I do or I don't because I sort of did a lot of that. I just I just love the training. But, yeah, I probably will compete with him again at some stage. Mm-hmm. Yep, so just enjoying the journey at the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've got a couple of other um, uh, young horses as well. So, yeah, just, just enjoying the journey really and, yeah, enjoying teaching and helping people. Um, you know, with their horses and 
Oh my. I feel like you're so humble about all these achievements. Like not many people can say that they've basically represented their country over 10 years, 12 times, that they have a horse who can do all the Grand Prix movements at Liberty. Like these are incredible achievements. So yeah, I'm just, I'm blown away. And I'm curious to know after, you know, that whole journey that you've just described, how would you summarize your training approach or philosophy with horses today? Well, thank you. <laughs> um, my training philosophy, I guess, um, it incorporates modern behaviour science, the principles of, you know, learning theory, um, also ethology and the instincts of the horse, mm-hmm. as well as biomechanics, you know, how they move and um, the functional movement patterns that we learn through dressage. Mm-hmm. I'm also influenced by the wisdom that's been passed down from the old masters in um, both horsemanship and in classical dressage. So they're sort of my influences. And I do follow mostly the principles of Lima, the least intrusive, minimal aversive. Mm-hmm. Um, I like my horses to um, enjoy it as much as possible and, you know, I want the training sessions to sort of be enrichment for the horse where it's not just an ego-based thing of using them as a piece of sports equipment where it's more like a conversation with the horse and their, yeah, willing participant. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think many of the listeners of this podcast will agree with that. But I feel like some people perhaps haven't come across clicker training or don't really know what it is or are confused between what clicker training is and positive reinforcement is. Would you be able to shed some light on the definition um, and and how you use it in your training today? Yeah, so positive reinforcement, um, the technical meaning for that positive is like in maths so when it's like adding something Um, so in operant conditioning we have uh, we call them four quadrants and there's positive and negative and they're talking about things that are added or removed from the training equation so um, where with positive reinforcement we're adding something into the equation and um, in the operant conditioning quadrants we've also got um, reinforcement and punishment and the definitions of those is uh, a reinforcer is something that strengthens or increases the frequency of a behavior that precedes it so um, positive reinforcement is adding something into the training equation to increase the frequency of a behavior Mm -hmm. and um, by contrast uh, punishment refers to um, something that reduces the frequency of a behaviour. So uh, people often get confused by the terms because uh, the scientists decided to use positive and negative and we already, as humans, have these ideas about what positive and negative mean. So rather than using it as, you know, something added or something subtracted, um, people often think, oh, positive means good and, you know, rainbows and love hearts and butterflies, whereas negative means bad and, you know, it's not really like that. It's just something added or something taken away. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so 
Um, what was the rest of the question? Sorry. <laughs> um, I suppose what makes clicker training clicker training? I mean, it's kind of obvious for you and I, but there are, I remember at the start, I was like, oh, what's the difference between clicker training and just positive reinforcement or what does the clicker actually do is the clicker magic you know (laughs) yeah 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 good question so um so the clicker actually marks a behavior so uh let's say we're asking the horse to step backwards we would use the clicker it's almost a good way to think of it is like a camera so you're taking a photo of the behavior that you want so with the clicker when the horse steps backward when their hoof is actually in the air swinging backward you would click and mark that moment and then uh sorry and then you would follow that with giving the horse something they want such as the food reward um and i think using a marker signal is really um part of the power of the clicker training because It just gives the horse so much clarity about exactly which behaviour we're looking for. Um, So the sound of the click is also quite short. And um, I should have had a clicker in here with me, but um, it's a really short sound. So you can mark like the flick of an ear or, um, you know, the height of a stride or, you know, a moment of of when the legs change in the flying change. you know, or a slight change in their posture. Like you can mark a really precise moment of behaviour by using the click. Mm-hmm. Um, technically it's called a bridge signal because it bridges the moment in time between the behaviour and the getting of the reward. Mm-hmm. And the start of clicker training is all about pairing the bridge signal with the reinforcer. So you'd basically... Um, click and reinforce so that the horse starts to associate the sound of the click with the food. A bit like with Pavlov's dogs, how they rang a bell and then gave meat powder and rang a bell and then gave meat powder and then pretty soon the dogs would associate the sound of the bell with the meat powder. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with the click and the reward. Um, Yeah, so definitely uh, using a marker signal allows us um, to really clarify to the horse what behavior is being rewarded whereas if you just use food rewards without using a marker signal let's say uh i'm asking the horse to step backwards on the ground and um when the horse steps back then i give them the food so what you're actually reinforcing is the horse reaching towards the food because that's the behavior that comes the moment before them actually eating Mm. so with with a reinforcer, it's about what happens before the reinforcer. So that's what's important to the horse. How did I get that? <laughs> and yeah. um, and that's why horses get pushy or, or you know, we call it mugging when um, when people train with food. You know, there's thousands of people all around the world that go, oh, no, you should never train with food because mm-hmm. your horse will get pushy. And that is true if you train with food without a marker signal because if you're training with food without the marker signal, the only behaviour you're strengthening is reaching out for the food (laughs) yeah yeah and also perhaps if they don't train those initial uh, I guess you could say ground rules in terms of you don't receive the treat unless your head is in this sort of position yeah yeah exactly so um yeah so with the click you can do that like you can that's the first thing we do is teach them you know you've got to have your head um away from us with your neck straight (laughs) and then I'll click and take the food to you 
Um, and that and that teaching them the food manners um, is so important. But you can also do things like using the clicker because it's that bridge signal. Like I'll have my horse, you know, 20 metres away at Liberty and maybe they're trotting and they do a nice elevated stride of trot and I can click and mark that moment of that trot stride um, and the horse will stop and wait for me to come over and, and give them the food and they'll know that it was for that trot stride. Mm. Whereas I couldn't do that <laughs> if I was only training with the food without the marker signal. So, um, yeah. And you couldn't do that really if you weren't using positive reinforcement at all because you wouldn't have a way of marking that behaviour um, at a, at that much of a distance just by scanning and capturing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely the positive reinforcement um it just changes the whole paradigm with the horses and um, it gives you so many more options. I mean, there there are some people that train behaviours um, and they call it purely with positive reinforcement where they barely touch the horse, you know, they're using all what we call a target where the horse reaches towards something and touches it and um, all prompts with different obstacles and that sort of thing, like maybe a mat or um so it is possible to train lots of behaviours by by capturing and, and shaping it where we gradually change the standards for a reward. Um, <laughs> and you can do a lot of different behaviours without using any pressure and, and release. Um, so that's really cool for people that, that want to go down that path of, of training without any pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly do that with quite uh, quite a few behaviours. You know, I love capturing and free shaping behaviors um lots of different liberty things i've taught with that and and quite a few tricks and and even some of the the dressage type collected work i do that with the um with the free shaping Mm -hmm. Um, i also uh given my uh, dressage background and horsemanship background i i do train behaviors with um, very gentle pressure and release in combination with the clicker training. Yeah. And I think um, with traditional negative reinforcement, so mostly uh, that is like pressure and release. So let's say you push back on the lead rope and the horse feels the pressure on their halter and then when they step back, they get that release of pressure, you release the pressure on the lead rope. So that's the pressure is removed uh, when they step back. So the behaviour of stepping back is hopefully strengthened um, and next time they feel that pressure, they're more likely to step back to get that release. So that's the traditional way of training with the pressure and release. And um, in the traditional training community, um, there's a lot of, you know, starting with very gentle pressures and then escalating. You know, some people escalate quite a lot <laughs> or they might use a lot of pressure on a horse, which is, you know, not necessary to <laughs> um, to use strong aversives, especially when we um, use what we know about shaping, which is just rewarding the slightest try and also with the incorporation of clicker training. Yeah. So... I find that, like, if I was going to teach a horse, um, if I was going to use combined reinforcement, say, for that same behaviour, I could press back on the lead rope 
And then instead of waiting for the horse to take a full step back, um, I could really watch the horse. And even if they just shifted their weight slightly back, I could click and mark that, release the lead rope and give the horse a treat Mm -hmm. and just repeat that. So I could start with the lightest, lightest pressure where the horse, you know, is, is aware of it and they're you know they're not finding at at all like stressful or painful or um anything like that it's just they're they're just aware of a a very mild um feeling and it sort of guides them into how to find the reinforcement Mm -hmm. and then yeah so I use that pressure it's like information to help the horse find what behavior I'm going to click for (laughs) yeah um instead of just doing it to avoid the pressure, um, it ends up letting the horse know how to earn a food reward. Mm. Um, And so when we're using shaping and we are, you know, shaping in really gradual increments, um, yeah, the horse, they, they just learn so much faster and they're also motivated. They're like, Hey, if I lean back and I get this little bit of carrot, what if I like step back? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. They'll sometimes offer more and you can go, yeah, hey, that's great, jackpot. (laughs) So um, when you're training with um, pressure and release, horses don't do that. They offer the minimum, like, you know, the least amount they can do to be left alone, whereas um, with the positive reinforcement they'll start to do, oh, well, you know, you think that's great, well, watch this. Yeah, and that's something I found as well. The things that I have trained with positive reinforcement, their behaviors that my horses are willing to offer me at other times. They're like, "Hey, look, I, I can do this," and and it can that can be good and can be bad. But I don't really see behaviors that are trained purely from negative reinforcement performed in in that same way. Um, so it's kind of cool that they're like really engaged and exuberant about the behavior. But some of the objections that I hear about. Um, using clicker training or positive reinforcement, and I'm sure you've heard them as well, is, well, I don't want to be using treats forever. I can't do a dressage test and stop and give give a reward halfway through. And I want the horse to do it for me, in quotes, um, not for the reward. What are your thoughts on those objections? Yeah, okay, so there's a couple of um, questions in there. So firstly, um, we... We train a behavior at first. We get we get the behavior happening, um, and then we shape the behavior. So let's say we're teaching a shoulder in. Um, so at first, it's just you know shaping the idea of a shoulder in, and maybe it's just putting their nose in, and we click and treat, and um, and then we can gradually progress to getting the whole actual positioning of the shoulder in and the softness in the body and. And then we can shape that further so that we can get, you know, more and more steps in the shoulder in. Um, And then we can shape that until eventually you can get like a whole long side in the shoulder in. Um, And then once that shoulder in is really good, um, you can do train that even with distractions where they're listening, um, where you're really happy with, you know, all the elements of it, where it's, you know, it's, it's a really good shoulder in and it's really consistent and reliable. Um, then I put that on a variable reinforcers, reinforcement, uh, sorry, a variable scheduler reinforcement. So, um, so then I don't need to reinforce the shoulder in every single time I ride it. I might start to go, you know, um, 
you know, that shoulder end was really good and now let's go out of that um, into uh, a travers and, and click that. Or um, So I might not click the shoulder in every single time I ride it, but I definitely will still reinforce it sometimes and that way the horse is always keenly participating going, well, maybe this time I'm going to get the click <laughs> and the reinforcer. And that's uh, how poker machines work. So, And they're highly yeah. addictive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the horse, um, you know, they become really keen and they, you know, want to keep trying just in case this time they're, they're going to win the jackpot, so to speak. And, um, and so I don't think about going to a competition, like I don't compete at a level that I'm training. So I want to be... Um, training a level well above what I'm competing at because when I take the horse out to a show and there's all those distractions around, um, I want to be sure that, you know, my horse is going to be comfortable and and they're going to be confident and able to perform those behaviours um, even with the distractions. So, um, yeah, if we're training a level above what we're competing, then all those behaviours that we're asking for at the show are really well-known behaviours and they're all on a variable schedule of reinforcement. So, you know, going around and doing a test should be, yeah, no big deal at all. And I will always have a little jackpot at the end of the test when I walk out and, you know, I'll give the horse something really good. Um, and does it reinforce the test? No, but I guess it's a little bit of positive reinforcement in that environment. And yeah, um, counter conditioning yeah. sort of the whole the whole process so um for example yeah. let's say doing an elementary test each of those components yeah. or movements in that test have previously been shaped using the positive reinforcement but that are now on a variable um reinforcement schedule and to the point where you've built an up enough duration that you could do a whole test and the horse doesn't need to be rewarded as such in that test but you'll still give them a jackpot at the end yeah absolutely and um also within the writing of the test um you know there are a lot of moments of releases where you know i'm not going to be using any kind of strong pressure by any means my pressure should already be you know very light if i'm asking the horse to go out into that you know, distracting environment and perform. We should already have, you know, really nice uh, responses to light, very light pressure cues. But there are little tiny uh, releases, you know, little encouragement with um, my my reins where I might, you know, even or even just touch the horse on the neck and, you know, those little tiny, tiny signals that mm-hmm. um, will let the horse know that, yes, you're doing a good job and, <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's other reinforcers (laughs) present. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Um, And going on from the objections that people have with um, positive reinforcement, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people using with positive reinforcement? So one of the first mistakes I would say um, is not having some guidance or help when you're getting started. Um, And so what people tend to do when they're on their own is teach a really fun trick <laughs> which may be Spanish walk or something to start with um, yeah. and instead of teaching those foundation behaviors like um, you know standing quietly out of my space and waiting for the food 
Um, and so if you don't have any guidance and you just leap in and start training behaviours, um, then you don't really know how to get behaviours on cue and so the horse will be offering the behaviour all the time like <laughs> super excitedly and um, you also won't have any food manners established so the horse might be a bit grabby with um with that so definitely i would say get some guidance you know there's lots of different resources out there of um of getting your horse started with clicker training um i've certainly got some free videos online and an online course and you know there's lots of other people out there that can help you as well mm -hmm. um some of the other things i would say is um using reinforcers that are too high value so some horses when they're first starting clicker training you know they're so excited woohoo i can earn a carrot <laughs> so yeah. uh they you might get just a little bit too much motivation than what the person was ready for <laughs> um and so in that case it can help to um, start off with a lower value reinforcer like maybe pallets or chaff and also make sure the horse has had some food before your training so they're not um, hungry, so they're not as um, super excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing I would also say is that, and this is a really common one where I see people really focus on the stationary behaviours a lot um, yeah. in the initial phases, but they don't focus on any movement. <laughs> and yeah. so then when they, you know, they've got this really strong reinforcement history for lots of stationary behaviours, um, and then they start asking the horse to move and the horse um, is quite reluctant to move because they think, no, I've got to stand here and eat. So, um, you know, luckily behaviour is malleable and you can always, you know, change that and shape and start reinforcing movement. Um but every behaviour has its counterbalance, its opposite, and you need to think about sort of training in pairs. So if you're training, you know, a lot of turning to the left, for example, you need to balance that out with a lot of turning to the right. <laughs> Otherwise the horse is going to want to turn left all the time because that's the way that's been reinforced. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. the same with like the stopping and the going. If you've only trained a lot of stopping and, and not reinforced much going, then for a little while the horse might be like not as keen to go because that hasn't been reinforced as much. And, um, it's a balance. Yeah. yeah. And what has been your biggest horsemanship breakthrough to date? Breakthrough? Well, I've had a few health issues and um, so I have fibromyalgia, you know, on top of my other physical challenges and it's not so much of a breakthrough, but I think um, when you have physical issues, you just um, get even better at setting up your environment so that the horse might be likely to offer the behaviour that you're going to be looking for. Mm -hmm. um, and also just shaping things in much smaller steps and um, learning, you know, different shaping strategies for different behaviours. I really love that. I love, you know, learning how, you know, what shaping process somebody used for a particular behaviour. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just like everyone else, you know, experimenting and trying to keep up to date with everything that's that's coming out in the in the research world, and um, yeah, just just enjoying my horses at the same time. Love that. That's what it's all about. And what do you think makes a happy horse? 
Ah, well, um, I guess we can never really know how they feel. Um, I think Susan Friedman talks about that a bit, about um, we need to be careful about using labels like happy. <laughs> we can only make assumptions based on, um, you know, does the horse uh, look comfortable? You know, has it got all its physical needs met? Um, definitely we can look at their body language. Um, I think people focus too much on the ears. Obviously the ears are important. Um, but for me, I look a lot at the body tension. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, a relaxed horse who's performing with more, should I use a label, joyful type movement is going to be one that has a relaxed, loose swinging body rather than tense, tight muscles and mm -hmm. facial expressions and those mm -hmm. sort of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like we'll never know for sure exactly how a horse feels, but I guess they can give us clues through how they're moving and some aspects of their body language. But I agree. I think people can get a bit um, too focused on one area such as the ears and uh, especially because that's such an obvious thing to look at. You know, it's you see it in, in Liberty videos and things and very much draws the, the eye in, but um, you've got to look at the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. And also to understand the environment, like, you know, people um, definitely, you know, a swishing tail can be a, a sign, of, you know, a stress indicator. Um, it could also be an indicator there's a lot of flies there. So I think we yeah. need to not jump to conclusions too much with uh, things where, you know, obviously we we see the whole picture, but, yeah, sometimes there can be other elements at play that we might not be aware of. Mm -hmm. absolutely and what's something that you wish that every horse owner would do differently I wish they would use more positive reinforcement <laughs> of course <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and use a clicker um, and uh, just break behaviors down into much smaller steps yeah 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 one of our listener questions was um, is it okay to sometimes use the clicker and sometimes not or is this confusing to the horse well, definitely the horse would probably prefer that you use the clicker and the positive reinforcement, um, but you certainly can. Like there were times when I was um, training for dressage and I would have to have a lesson with a national coach or something and they would, you know, give the lesson and obviously I wasn't allowed to use the clicker at that stage um, with the horse. And um, so they would tell me, you know, you need to work on this, this and this. And then I would go away, you know, for a week and, <laughs> clicker train my horse <laughs> to work on that 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 and that and um and then I'd come back the following week and the instructor would say gee that's so much better <laughs> <laughs> did you yeah. tell them you were using clicker training in between sessions yeah I did eventually and and you know most of my instructors definitely um got on board that the clicker was useful just by the results that it was getting with the horses but um, you know, some of them ended up going on to use it themselves and others didn't. But, but yeah, so, so mm. I'd say um, definitely you can. Um, obviously you need to be mindful about how you go about it and, and what behaviours you're working on. Yeah, yeah. And another listener question is what do you do to build duration in a behaviour whilst keeping food anxiety low? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so 
it's it's about the schedules of reinforcement really mm -hmm. and um one of the traditional strategies is um is you know gradually increasing the length of time before you click and treat um i found though that's not the most effective way <laughs> because um the horse can get a bit frustrated and and not quite sure um I found the easiest way to increase duration um, is to use uh, an intermittent scheduler reinforcement. So that's one way. So let's say I'm um, asking the horse to put its head down um, and I want it to hold its head down for longer and at the moment what the horse is doing is it's putting its head down for like one second and then um, we click and treat and the horse puts its head up because the click ends the behaviour. So someone's trying to get the horse to put their head down for longer. Um, and so with intermittent reinforcement, it's not just longer and longer and longer. I don't wait like initially one second and then I click and treat and then eventually two seconds and click and treat and then three seconds and click and treat and four seconds mm -hmm. and click and treat. It's more like um, one second and then, you know, maybe two and a half seconds click and treat and then maybe the next one is only half a second and then maybe the next one is two seconds and then maybe the next one is one so it's just varying it a lot more and it's coming back and throwing some easy ones in there so that the horse is like oh maybe this will be an easy one oh hang on maybe it wasn't click oh <laughs> yeah um, so Do that way intermediate bridge as well like a, um, like a keep going or um I don't tend to use keep going signal so much. No, mm -hmm. but I know other people do. I tend to just have my criteria and um but the other thing I would suggest with adding duration would be um increasing the number of repetitions. So mm -hmm. like if you're training a bow, horse to bow, um it's you know, you can teach them to to go right down onto one knee and then we click and treat. Um, it's quite a challenge to teach them to to bow and then to stay down there for longer. But what I've found is um, so if you can, first of all, get them to bow and they're obviously really good at it and they've got the history of reinforcement and, you know, the behaviour's going really well, um, then you can actually go um, ask for the bow and instead of clicking, they, they hop up because, like, they've done the bow, they hop up. You ask for the bow again and then you click and reinforce the second repetition Mm -hmm. um and then um you keep doing that and you keep reinforcing for the second um repetition and what happens is they start to bow and then instead of coming all the way up they'll just come halfway up because they know that second one is like what's going to be reinforced so then they bow down again you click that and pretty soon they start to bow and then hardly come up at all and then again do the second one you click that and then after a while they just bow and they stay down there and you're like, yeah, click, jackpot, <laughs> bonanza. Yes, that makes so much sense. You've just given me an idea on how I can get more duration in the school halt that I'm currently shaping. So uh -huh. <laughs> it's obviously quite physically challenging for them to hold for a longer duration. So maybe I'll start rewarding on the on the second repetition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be a good strategy for that one. And if you could have dinner with any three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think um, I'm not sure about that one, really. Huh. <laughs> I suppose you've already um, trained with 
some amazing people around the world, there's probably not too many left that you you sort of need help from. <laughs> oh, no, there definitely is. But I probably would like to talk to one of those, uh, maybe like Xenophon or one of those guys from, you know, back in history where they, they did all the, the classical dressage and the movements and just to see what their thoughts and philosophy was back then. Yes. Um, I'd also uh, probably be interested in um, more having dinner with like B.F. Skinner or someone like that that did all Oh, yeah, um, some behavioural scientists. Operant conditioning kind of studies with the pigeons and I know that's not a horse trainer but um, I think, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, And my third one, um, yeah, I'm not sure, probably a a dressage rider, um, maybe Huberta Schmidt. I I would have liked to have spent more time with him and um, talked to him and I would have loved to have seen what he could have done with the clicker. (laughs) Yes, true, because I feel like some of those trainers that already have excellent timing from a pressure release sense it doesn't take them long to pick up really good timing with a clicker um absolutely yeah yeah and this next one is a bit of a fun question what has been your best horse related purchase in the last 12 months oh okay um well definitely I've got to think of what it's called now (laughs) (laughs) um the paddock blade Oh, yes, I've seen the ads for those. It's really good. So, yeah, much less um, time spent picking up manure means more time with horses. And, um, yeah, I just drag it behind the rod on mower. And although it wasn't so good when it was raining, that was, like, yeah, not a success because it was muddy and didn't work. But now that it's dried out again. um, I've wondered how it would go on hills as well because we're on quite a hilly property and I'm like, would the paddock blade go okay on the side of a hill <laughs> I think it would but you need to have like a um, quad bike or something suitable to tow it and it's mainly just about not having too many like bumps and rock huge rocks and things like that so it's sort yeah. of sort of smooth-ish <laughs> yeah yeah I'll have to put it on my wish list <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any favorite horse books or resources um well, it's not a horse book, but I would definitely recommend um, Karen Pryor's book, Don't Shoot the Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was yeah, a critical piece of literature in understanding um, animal learning. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I'm not sure. I had a feeling you were going to mention that book. I I have read it, but it's pretty what's the word it's not a long book but it's dense if you know what I mean like there's a lot of information to take in there yeah yeah absolutely but it (laughs) does to come back to yes yes you could definitely keep coming back to it yeah any others or is that your main um, I also quite liked um Tom Dorrance I think it is true horsemanship through feel yes um I think that's a nice one Mm -hmm. and um Dressage in Lightness, that was a good book as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. I'll add those to the list. I have a list of all the books that people on the podcast have recommended, so I I keep adding to it as we get more people on the podcast. Oh, cool. Now, you've achieved amazing things with horses so far. 
but I'd like to know what is your ultimate goal with horses? I just hurt like having a good time with them really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've, I've done a lot of things and um, I've, you know, trained behaviours that, you know, I wasn't sure if they were possible, you know, just to see if I could do them and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've done the competition thing a lot. So I, I'm more now just um, I like finding different ways of shaping behaviours Um mm-hmm. I experiment with, oh, last time I trained the PF like that with this horse. Well, what about with this other horse? You know, I'm going to try and shape this a bit differently and see if this is, you know, better or worse or <laughs> how, how it goes and just always trying to improve my own technique and understanding and skills and and also um, try to be a nice source of enrichment and uh, fun for my horses. <laughs> Perfect. Love that. And what is the one message that you would like our listeners to know from today's interview? Um, definitely give clicker training a go. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really fun. Your horse will love it. Um, yeah, you'll both have a lot of fun and, and you can teach really cool things. Almost anything that you can think up, you can teach them. Um, yeah, it does take a bit of practice and learning. Uh, but, yeah, definitely give it a go. And speaking of giving it a go, and before we wrap up today's show, can you tell us where our listeners can find out more about you and how to get started with clicker training and if you've got any courses that you offer, et cetera? Yeah, so my website is clickwithhorses.com and I've got uh, clickers and bum bags and that sort of thing so you can um, the uh, gear to get started with your clicker training. Um, but also I do have an online course Um which is quite extensive. I've got like 150 videos in there of step-by-step of how to train um, from a basically wild run handled horse through to starting under saddle, um, some liberty and tricks. And um, and I just keep adding to that. And uh, it's also quite a, a nice community in there where we support each other on the journey and, um, yeah, so you can join me there in our in our online course, or um, otherwise, I've also got a YouTube channel. Um, I think if you search my name, Georgia Bruce, you'll find my YouTube channel, and I've got lots of free videos on there for getting started. So you could really um, watch those, and that would go a long way towards getting started. Um, Excellent. And I can put links to all of those in the show notes as well. Um, We've thrown around a lot of terminology that perhaps some people, um, if they're not familiar with positive reinforcement, might not understand. So if you're feeling like you want to give clicker training a go, definitely check out Georgia's resources um, and her course. Georgia, thank you so much for coming on to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast today and sharing your knowledge and expertise with us, particularly around clicker training. It's been a great conversation and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot from today's show. So thank you again. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website, AmaliaDempsey.com, where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. 
That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode.